A lot of announcements at the front of our service today, but I just want to really encourage you, uh, next weekend is a, is a lot of opportunities for you, and um, from the men's retreat to the start of our focus, new focus group for the summer, to the um, Big Mac outside, just take advantage of these opportunities. Invest, invest in what the Lord desires to do. I'm, I'm excited for what God has in store for us this summer. Well, I wore my green uniform today. You know, you can always look for something. I, I often try to match my color to what I'm speaking to. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So, so today, today, I want to talk about something that is a little bit of an interest in mine. Now, I'm no pro. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not Mark McKenzie. But I like to do a little bit of, of gardening. Okay, It's something I kind of enjoy doing a little bit. And um, now, please don't come look at my house and look at our flowers because I'm a novice, okay? But it's something I'm interested in. It's just something I kind of like spending some of my time on, you know, planting some flowers and, and seeing them grow and develop and all that. And, and uh, if you came to my house, you probably would be surprised to hear that that's an interest. But it is, it is. I got it from my father, and, and uh, now I continue it today. Well, um, somebody a couple years ago gave me some great plants. They're called irises. Have you seen these things? They're beautiful plants. And they were just now through, at least my house, they've, they've all bloomed now, and the iris flowers now are, are gone away. And, and I got this idea. And that was, you know, I'm a, a 21st uh, century gardener, so I thought, you know, I'd like to order some iris plants online. You know, a lot of us, so if you're not familiar with how you, how you get an iris, what you do is you go to somebody's house and you ask them and they say, sure, you can have a scoop full. And so you take your shovel and you, you take a you know, part of the iris and you bring it to your house and you plant it. And it's an amazing thing. It, it grows and you multiply it over. Before long, you've got a whole bank covered with irises. Come to my house. You can see that. But I thought, you know, I, I don't want to wait and go borrow irises from somebody else. I'm just going to buy my own. So I went on Amazon, as any 21st century gardener would do, and did a search for iris plants. And I found a link that I could buy 20 of these things for $10. 20 iris plants for 10 bucks. That's a good deal. That is such a good deal that I couldn't let it pass twice. I bought two of them. Two packages, okay, of 20 plants each. So 40 plants for $20. And I sent in my, you know, Discover card and, and got a confirmation, yes, it's on its way. And I would go to the mailbox like a little kid and open it up, you know, or, or actually expect them to come to my door with a box, a big box now of these big iris plants, right? I kind of revealed where I'm headed there by accident. So just a week ago, I went to my mailbox and opened it up and there's an envelope from a strange person. I didn't know who this was and I opened it up and... It says, congratulations on your 20 irises. And then the person wrote, times two. And I'm like, what is this? And I open it up. I paid $20 for 40 seeds. I didn't get any iris plants. I got seeds. I'm like Jack and the Beanstalk now, right? $20 of my hard-earned money for 40 seeds. They're in the smallest Ziploc bags you'd ever imagine. They're about a square inch, okay? A little Ziploc bag. This poor person, you put them in there and they had to do that. I don't know how they did it, but they did. And so now I'm the, the proud owner of 40 seeds for $20. Well, I'm not going to be curtailed. I'm, I press on. And so early this week, I planted 
all 40 of my seeds. I prepared a small garden, okay? I, I tilled the ground and I, I weeded it. I cleaned it all up. You know, I treated the dirt. I had it all ready and, and I went through and put in my 40 little seeds. And then I watered it. And all this week, I get up really early, okay? And I go out there and I, I go out and I get my water hose and, and I stand out there and I water this dirt, okay? And the next, that evening, I, I water them again. The next morning I get up and I water the dirt again. And my, my, my family's looking at me like, you know, is there something wrong with you? Why are you spraying the dirt with water? You know, what is, what is going on? And, and as I'm walking through this experience this week, it struck me how much this gardening, this, this seed planting, is so much like our walk with Christ. Listen, this morning, I've got little leaves. Okay? They're, they're poking through the earth. They're coming. I'll keep you posted. I know you're excited. <laughs> but it's amazing how life works that way. And how following Christ is just like that. I know many of you are, are desiring to honor God and you're, you're pressing on and you're, you're doing what we do. Okay, You're doing the next thing. You're, you're following Christ and, and maybe you're not seeing a whole lot of fruit yet. Okay, It might be day three or four of that seed planting adventure. And you don't even have a leaf popping out of the ground yet. But I want, to, I want to encourage you to keep going. And keep trusting the Lord. And keep going out there and watering the garden. Okay, Keep going out there and doing the things that you know that you're called to do as a follower of Christ. And trust the Lord for the results. Sometimes they're slow in coming. Sometimes they take years or decades. And some you will not see this side of heaven. But you keep going. You keep pressing on and and walking out this this walk of faith that the Lord is going to do exactly what He has promised in our lives. And He's going to remain steadfastly committed to us. You see, this relates to the Ten Commandments. We are are in the midst of a little series where we're talking about the Ten Commandments. And and we see in the Gospel of John, this is the words of Jesus, and He says, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments, Jesus says. And there are times that simple obedience to what Christ calls us to is very challenging. And it challenges us to our core. And there are times when you are so far out of your comfort zone, so far out of the world's comfort zone, and everything the world tells you to do, you are so far detached from that, that you become tempted to give up on what God has called us to. And you're ready just to to abandon obeying Christ and what He's directed us. Well, I want to encourage you today to not do that. And where I wanna, where I, how I want to encourage you in that way to, to continue on in your walk of faith is through one of the commandments. So let's talk about what we've already been dealing with in the Ten Commandments. You'll find them in two places in your Bible. Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. You can go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be going there in just a minute. We've talked about that there's Ten Commandments. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And really the first four or five of the Ten Commandments deal with loving God. They deal with loving God. We've talked about those over the last month. 
we started out that the first commandment really is calling us to worship the true God only. You have no other gods before you. That's the first commandment. Worship the true God. And then the second commandment of the ten deals with that we will not make for ourselves a graven image. And we dealt with that and we said that, that's about us, yes, worshiping the true God, but worshiping Him truly. Worshiping God truly. We, we cannot fashion our own form of God. We can't make God what we want Him to be. We, we can't form into a nice, friendly little God that we like and that we admire and that we have designed and then worship Him. God has laid out in His Word what He is like. He has shared with us His character. And we must worship Him truly. God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. God demands perfection for us to come to Him. And God provides perfection through, his, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. He makes us His Son. We must worship the true God, and we must worship Him truly. And then we talked about the third commandment, which speaks of not taking the Lord's name in vain. Not wastefully using the Lord's name. And we talked about this is more than a prohibition against using God's name. Although it is a prohibition against using the Lord's name almost like a curse word. But really, it's, it's being faithful in the proclamation of God's name. Being faithful to His character. Being faithful to His name that He has placed on you. If you're a follower of Christ today, if you put your trust in Jesus, you are now a son of God, a daughter of God. By adoption, you receive His name. Now, you be faithful to that. But today we go to the fourth of the ten. And it is another commandment that reveals for us something about the character of God. Let's read chapter 20 of Exodus, verses 1 we're going to go all the way down to verse number 11. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. A graceful God is He, full of grace. Verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God. There is the name of God, Lord, capital L, capital R, O, R, D, all caps, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, steadfast, loving God of the universe. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And then verse number 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, 
or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now you're probably very familiar with the Sabbath law, the Sabbath rule. Jesus Himself proclaimed that He was Lord of the Sabbath. You can read about it in Mark chapter 2. We won't take the time to delve into that right now. But the Pharisees of the day are upset with Jesus because He and His disciples are are walking through the field and they're hungry and they they just grab some grain and they're eating it. And the Pharisees come and, and attack Jesus and said, how can you be doing this? And Jesus said something that's very interesting. He, he explained that the Sabbath, okay, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't made for man. It's not, the Sabbath was meant to be a blessing for man. It wasn't meant to be an obligation. You see, what had happened is this, and, and we need to, to get to where we're headed today, the first thing I want to deal with, let me just tell you where we're headed. I, I want to start out with how the Jewish people in Jesus' day wrongly viewed the fourth commandment. I then want you to see that you, are, you and I are no longer obligated to follow that fourth commandment the same way that the Jews were. But from that commandment, we can see a part of the character of God that is very applicable to us right now. So let's deal with how the Jews saw the Sabbath law and what they had done with it wrongly. Somebody said that, that they had just been exotic in their legalism. The Jewish people in the first century Palestine had taken this Sabbath law and, and, and developed it into a whole series of laws that were very easy, quite honestly, to judge others on. The Jews had taken this, this regulation that God had given. He had given it as a gift to His people. As a gift to His people to allow them to love Him in a greater way. And they had then relegated it to just a a series of laws that they would follow. Let me just tell you about some of this, because it's just, it's amazing. They They had boiled down the Sabbath law into 39, I won't explain this completely, but let's listen to some of this, 39 different classifications of work. The Jewish people were, were, were adamant that they were not to do any work on the Sabbath. And so, to help the regular people understand this, they had developed 39 classifications of work. I want to pick one and just tell you about it a little bit. Okay? One of the classifications of work was called a burden. You were not allowed to handle a burden on the Sabbath day. Now, if I told you that, you can't handle a burden, you wouldn't really know what that meant. And so the Jewish religious teachers of the day understood that, so they developed it further. Let me tell you about the rules concerning a fig. A fig, small piece of fruit. See, there were laws about figs. Laws to help us understand what was allowable. This is almost comical, okay? Here was the law. You were not allowed to carry something that was a burden. A burden was anything equal to or heavier than a dried fig. So what this meant was, you could carry one half of a fig on the Sabbath day. So you could cut your fig in half, and you could carry half of that fig that day. 
But listen to this. If you dropped the fig onto the ground, you were not allowed to pick it up. Do you know why? Because you already carried half of that fig, and when you dropped it and picked it up again, that's another half. And as your third grade teacher told you, one half plus one half equals one, you just carried a burden. Crazy laws. If you were carrying half a fig, if you're carrying a full fig, if you're carrying a fig in your hand, and the Sabbath moment came, you were you would have to drop the fig where you were for fear that you'd be holding that fig during the Sabbath. And they, they developed these rules that were amazing. For instance, you could pick up a child, you could pick up a child that wasn't a burden, unless they were holding what? A fig. If they were holding a fig, you couldn't pick up the child. So you had to inspect the child's hands to make sure there wasn't more than half a fig. So if you had a really smart kid and he cut his fig into quarters and was holding three of them, oh, that's three quarters of a fig. You've got a problem. Couldn't wear false teeth on Sabbath. Yes, they had such a thing. Do you know why you couldn't wear false teeth? Now, ladies, you're not going to appreciate this. But false teeth were not permitted on the Sabbath, this reason. Because if a woman were to drop her false teeth, she would feel obligated to pick them up and replace them into her mouth, and they weigh more than half a fig. So you could not wear your false teeth on the Sabbath. Now, this is what the Jewish... And this is just one piece of it. What God meant to enhance His people's love for Him, the religious teachers of the day had developed a whole system of rules and regulations. And listen, hear me for just a moment, please. Because we can scoff at that, but there's a lot of people that think that's what Christianity is. There's, there might be people in this room, maybe, that you think Christianity is all about a series of rules that we are to follow. And listen, I want you to understand, that is not what God's intention is for you. Do you really think that the God of the universe is that petty? Is that petty? That a half of a fig is is okay, but three quarters is, is a sin? Do you see God as that small? No. God desires relationship with us. He desires relationship with with people of all times. That was His intent then, and that's His intent now. So what on earth is meant by this Sabbath law? Well, let's, let's look at it and see if we can't understand it a little better. You're in Exodus 20, right? Let's, let's read it and understand what is meant. Verse number 8. Remember the Sabbath day, that is. Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. Now the word Sabbath doesn't mean Saturday. It doesn't mean Sunday, by the way. It doesn't mean the seventh day of the week. That's not what the word Sabbath means. This is a Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word means to rest, is what it means. It means to rest. It means to to cease, to desist. It means to rest. 
So what the Lord said in Exodus chapter 20, verse number 8, is this. Remember the rest day to keep it holy. Now God, through His Word, had instructed a great deal about this concept of rest and what He intended for His people. I want to do a little bit of a Bible study with you on this word rest, okay? On this word Sabbath. I want you to follow along with me. I think you'll enjoy it. To have a little bit of a Bible study on, on what the Lord meant for this, okay? So, so first of all, let's go to Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. Turn back a couple pages. Turn back a couple pages and you will see the very first rest day. The very first rest day that God had placed in, in place for the Israelites, it's in chapter 16, verse 23. And you can see it there. Okay, this is, this is after the, the children of Israel have been brought out of Egypt. And notice it says in verse number 22, that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, said to them this. Now what's happening is, God is feeding His people. And they've gathered up twice as much on the, on the sixth day so they can... Eat it on the seventh day. And look what, look what God says to His people. This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. This is the first Sabbath day on record. You need to understand something. You look at the life of... Well, we go all the way back to Adam. You go to Adam, you go to his children, you go to Noah, you go to Abraham, you go to Job, you go all through the book of Judges. We, we don't have, we don't have, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Not the book of Judges, that's a mistake. But Job, I meant to say, look through, all through the book of Job, you don't have a Sabbath occurring. It doesn't happen prior to this. This Sabbath day that God initiated in Exodus chapter 16, verse 23 is a special event that God has placed into the life of the Israelites. And He has a purpose for this for them. You can see it further developed. Go into the book of Leviticus. Okay, Go with me to Leviticus chapter 20. I told you we'd do a little bit of Bible study here. And all I did to get this, just so you know, you can do what I'm doing. I pulled up a concordance. I looked up every reference where Sabbath was. And I read what God had to say about it. So you see in Leviticus chapter 20, we see, uh, we see there's, the, there's the Sabbath law given, okay? For instance, in verse number 23, I misspoke again. Verse number 23. Look with me at verse number 32. 23-32. Here we have a yearly Sabbath. So God is set in, in Exodus 20 to have a weekly Sabbath, but now in Leviticus 23, we have a yearly Sabbath. Read it with me. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict yourself on the ninth day of the month, beginning to evening, from evening to evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. If you read verses 26 through 32, this is the Day of Atonement, a special Sabbath. I have the reference on your sheet there. Go back down to Leviticus chapter 25. We have a seven-year Sabbath. Here God said, every seven years, I want you to give the land a Sabbath. So God has said, in a week, have a day of Sabbath. In a year, have a day of Sabbath, the day of atonement. And now every seven years, you're going to have a year of Sabbath. You know what you did in the year of Sabbath? 
You didn't plant your fields. You didn't sow any seed that year. So think about this now. You're a farmer. There's no Walmart down the road. There's no Martins around the corner. But on the seventh year, you are not to plant your fields. How are you going to feel about that? As year two and three and four and five and six come along, and you, you know year seven comes, and I'm not going to plan anything. How do you feel about that? Feel good about that? Feel ready to do that? You say, oh yeah, I could do that. Okay. The seven years that I want you to do, take your whole salary that year and give it to the poor. So I want you to work for six years, go ahead and live how you want to for those six years, but that seventh year, every penny you make, you give it to the poor. How are you going to feel about that? This is what God commanded. This is what they're to do. And then every 50 years, now you have another special Sabbath. This is the year of Jubilee. You know what happens then? All debts forgiven. Every 50 years, debts forgiven. Some of you are like, hey, now that sounds pretty nice. But it only happens once in a lifetime. Every 50 years. I think we need to see what God is trying to teach His people. This had never been, this had never been practiced before. This had never been lived out before. God had a special relationship with, with the people of Israel. He had a special relationship with them. In Exodus 33, He says that the, that the Sabbath is the sign of the covenant. It is the sign of the covenant. The sign of my covenant with my wife is my, is, is my wedding ring, okay? And if you find this wedding ring somewhere out in the parking lot, you should give it to me because it means nothing to you. It means nothing to you, but it means everything to me. Because in 1990, when we exchanged vows, I put this ring on. And it was a covenant that I would keep, my wife and I. God called the Sabbath the covenant sign between Him and Israel. And every week, they have a day day where they don't work. And every year, they have a special day that they dedicate to God. And every seven years, they, they don't plant their fields. And every 50 years, everything returns back to its starting point. What is God trying to teach His people? I tell you, He's trying to teach them. He's trying to teach His people to trust Him completely. To trust Him completely. Even when the chips are down, when everything looks wrong, when it should not, when it should not compute. It doesn't make any sense for me to not plant my fields. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for me to not work on this day. It doesn't make any sense. But God is trying to teach not only His people something, but everybody around. Let's go back to the passage. Let's talk about another word that's here. Because this one is equally important. Okay? I'm in Exodus chapter 20 now. Sorry, I got you bouncing around a little bit. I got lost myself a couple times, but we're back on track now. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 8. Remember the Sabbath day 
To keep it, what? Holy. Holy. Another word. Another word that we need to talk about. Holy means this. It means to not be of common use. It means to be set apart for a special purpose. If something is holy, it is no longer common. Oh, it once was. Something common can be made holy. It once was common. Common day, just like every other. But now God has said, no, this will have a special purpose. Now here's the truth. If you're in Christ today, you are called holy. You're called a saint, which is the same word, same root word. You are a set-apart one. The Catholic Church makes a big deal about sainting somebody who's passed on to do all these works. Listen, that does not align with the Bible. The Bible says that if you're in Christ today, you are a saint. Not you will become one, you are one. But let's understand what that means. It means you are, you are not just relegated to a common purpose. You are not just a person. You are not just a human You're not just another man, another woman. You're not just a teacher or a carpenter or a construction worker or a doctor. That's not what you are. You are now set apart for a special purpose. Now let's take all, everything we've said so far, and let's understand what this Sabbath law was about. Stay with me. There is a great treasure at the end of this rainbow. You see, God had a special relationship with the people of Israel. God set up a plan with the nation of Israel. Now, I'm going to explain this plan, and you're going to kind of like it. You're going to say, hey, that sounds pretty sweet. I like the sound of that. You might even get an idea of starting like maybe a group and having somebody get up front and, and, and try to sell this plan. And I promise you, you try to sell the plan that I'm going to describe to you, and you can get masses of people to gather around you and listen to you talk about it. When I explain this plan, you're going to think, that sounds a lot like the prosperity gospel. Let me explain to you God's plan with the nation of Israel. It's this. Nation of Israel, I have chosen you out of all the people in the world. That's good. And if you obey me, if you obey me, that's not going to give you eternal salvation. But if you obey me, I will bless you materially. You obey me, and your fields will outproduce. You obey me, and you will have more children than those around you. You obey me, and you will live longer on the earth. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like what we call the prosperity gospel. Sounds a lot like what a lot of pastors right now are in pulpits explaining. Give to God and He'll outgive you. Obey God and He'll bless your business. But listen, well, let's let's stay, let's stay in the Mosaic Covenant for just a minute. So then God said, all right. Just to show everybody my goodness. 
on the seventh day, you don't even work. God says, let's take it to another level. You don't even work on the seventh day. And I will still bless you. Let's go to another level, God says. The seventh year, you don't even plant your fields. Wow. That sounds amazing. Now, you would think in your flesh that people would see that and run to God. But you and I know where this story actually ends. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. The world around them saw this blessing and hated them. And most of the Jewish people themselves experienced this blessing and rejected God. But what do we see here? What do we see that we bring into our lives? That's what I want to deal with. Now, first of all, I do want to say this because I know some of you are wondering, and I've got a paper here someplace. Man, I'm like the nutty professor up here. There it is. Um, So... Over on the table, I I left a a document that says, are the Sabbath laws binding on Christians today? Twelve scriptural reasons not. Okay, I don't want to take time to deal with that. You can read it if that interests you. It's over on the table. But I want to deal with, okay, what does this mean for us today? What it means is this. Folks, God is calling us, just like He called the Israelites then, It is His character to call us to something. To call us as His followers to something. And I want to urge you right now to to follow His call. And this is what His call is. You rest completely in God. And you trust Him in a way that just goes against everything that everybody else believes. This is what we learn about our God through these Sabbath laws. You be unlike everyone and trust Him completely. Be unlike everyone and trust Him only. The world around us, all around us, just like the world in the Israelites' days, just like it was then, the world around us is trusting in primarily themselves. But God is saying this to us. You be unlike everyone and trust me completely. Now, I'm not going to stop there. I want to now start to get into our business a little bit, okay? And deal with some areas that we need to think about as followers of Christ. We need to think about it, okay? First of all, and I've got this on your worship notes. You can, you can follow along with me. First of all, we've got to deal with this one, okay? And this one may be the most important. First of all, rest in Christ. Rest in Christ. And what I'm saying there is His salvation, is, is the gospel. Listen, write this reference down and listen to it. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Listen to what it says. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. 
Listen, the world around us, every other religion other than true, biblical, evangelical Christianity, the world around us all believes that we have to do some work for God to accept us. We gotta wash in a river, or we gotta pray in a direction, or we gotta eat this, or we gotta do that, or we gotta be this. Every other, other than evangelical Christianity, every other religious, philosophical, spiritual thought out there believes that they must do some work. And God is saying, rest in Christ. You want to know when the Sabbath is? I don't know what Sabbath means. Sabbath doesn't mean Sunday. Never did. Sabbath doesn't mean Saturday, as the Jews understood it. Sabbath means rest. If you're in Christ, every day is Sabbath. Every day. I can rest in who I am in Christ. I don't have to worry about whether or not God's going to accept me. I don't have to worry that if I were to die today, what would happen to me? I don't have to worry that God is going to abandon me. I rest every single day. That is a great truth for you. And that's the first one. Let's go a little further, okay? Secondly, I want us to understand that this is a call to rest enough, now hear this, to rest enough to give God His Rest enough to give God His place. Now my reference here I'd like you to look at is in Matthew chapter 6. Okay, go there quickly with me. Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at verses, I mean we could could read a long passage, but I want to narrow down into verse numbers 31 to 34 for sake of time. Matthew chapter 6. Let's read 31 to 34. 31 to 34 says this. Jesus speaking says, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, these are the godless people, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now the call I want us to feel today, believers, is we need to give God His place and trust Him completely. Now here's how this works. A lot of us, we're trying to follow Christ in our lives. And we do okay for a while. We do okay for a while until there's a decision or a moment of anxiety in our life. And then we have to make a decision. Will I trust the Lord and give Him His place? Will I practice my Sabbath and rest in Him and give Him His place? Or will I take things into my own hands and try to now create what I want things to be? 
Now, I think one of the, one of the easiest places to see this in our lives, watch out, is in our parenting. I want to deal with this for a minute. Because I believe the Christian church of America has a problem. We have a problem. In the, the area of this problem deals with where we have shepherding influence over other people. And the primary place that we have that is in our children and in our grandchildren, we are shepherding them. And the call that I want us to see here is to rest enough to give God His place in your children's lives. Your kids are with you today for a reason. I wanted them with you in the room right now. I want, if your kids are here today, I want you to look at them. And I want to ask you, who are you depending upon for them? And their walk with Christ. And their relationship with God. Are you dependent upon God and resting in what you know He has called you to? Or have you submitted yourself to what the world calls us to? Folks, there's a difference. And we are to be holy, different. Listen to what Tony Evans said. Tony Evans, you know who that is, right? African American pastor down in Texas. He said this American parents today are more concerned about their children making the team than making the kingdom. Please let that slap your face. The generations after you are waiting to see what your response will be. You know God calls for the corporate gathering of His children, of His body, to be paramount in our lives. I'm waiting for the day that I see Christians say, no, we will not, we will not sacrifice God's people God's gathering, what God has called us to, to be on the team. When I was a youth pastor, it used to be so frustrating to me. Because I'm poor into these kids' lives. And I would design this thing that I believe God was calling me to, to work in their lives. And I would, I would invite people, include this in your children's lives. And the parent would say, you know, we've got this big project that we're working on. In the words of Tony Evans, parents are more concerned about their children making the grade than making the kingdom of heaven. Folks, where, where does our trust lie? God said to the Jews... Don't you work on that seventh day. Well, how will we eat? How will we provide for ourselves? Don't, don't, you, don't you plant that field the seventh year? Well, how will we make it? Don't you submit 
Don't submit your lives and your calendar to everything that the world around says to make top priority. And you say, well, how would they be happy? How would they be successful? How would they be secure? What are we trying to raise? Where are we headed? What is our goal? Our goal is to be unlike the world and to trust Him completely and give Him His place. And remember, moms and dads, much, much more will be caught than you can ever teach. We can tell our kids till it runs out their ears that the Lord is first, the Lord is first, the Lord is first, the Lord is first. But you better watch out for test day. Watch out for test day. Because it sneaks up on you, and before you know it, questions are now being asked in young hearts. Give God His place. Secondly, rest enough to give God your place. Your place. Here's what I mean by this. I know what goes through our minds. Well, but what if I don't get to... What, what if I don't get to do this? What if I don't get to do that? And I'm talking more now... Listen, I'm, I've closed the chapter to parents. Okay, I'm not talking about children anymore. I'm not talking about all of us, okay? What if I don't trust the Lord? What, what if I... I'm sorry. What if I trust the Lord and, and follow Him? And how do I know that I'll be taken care of? How do I know that God's going to come through for me? Hear the word of the Lord. For the Gentiles seek after these things. Be different. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So seek first the kingdom of God. Listen, guys and gals, men and women. If that promotion is going to mean that you're going to have to abandon your family for 60, 70, 80 hours a week, or 45, you figure it out. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. If making that team requires you to sacrifice things that are supposed to be special to you, it's not worth it. If driving that car requires you to put yourself in such debt that you cannot give to the Lord and His people, it's not worth it. We are followers of Christ, are we not? We are His people, aren't we? We are holy, set apart, different than all the world. Do not be afraid to let it show. Jesus said this, the thief comes to lie, to destroy, to kill. But I have come, Jesus said, to give you life, abundant life. And that is the joy of resting 
in Him completely. Resting in Christ. Resting enough to give Him His place. And resting enough for Him to give us our place. Alright? Let's go to the Lord. Father, Lord, you, uh, you, you called the children of Israel to this kind of trust. To a faith-filled, culture-opposing, radical trust of You. Lord, our call is no different. God, make us people who place You on the throne of our lives. God, I pray that we would submit to Your Lordship today. I thank You that we can rest in Christ, Lord. And there might be people here who have messed this up. There might be just decades of mistakes making. And listen, in prayer, I'm talking to some of you people today. I'm directing our conversation from the Lord to your heart. And listen, resting in Christ, resting in Christ means that you can be forgiven. If you have not prioritized your Lord, if you have not prioritized His call in your life, you confess that as sin now. And resting in Christ means that He forgives. It also means that He redirects. And now you respond in faith. And He'll meet you there. Now God, we come back to You. You tell us, draw near to You, and You draw near to us. So Lord, that's what we want to do now. We want to respond to Your Word in worship. Accept it, Lord. We're only worthy. We can only come to You because of Your Son. And the rest He has given. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.